For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. college basketball are back. The NFL and college football playoffs are right around the corner. With all these sports going on, there are plenty of bets to lock in on. So if you're thinking about picking the Lakers to repeat their NBA championship or someone to upset Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, you need to go to betonline.ag. Or if you want to bet on the first coach that might get fired, a certain local uh, Washington basketball coach might be one of the, the names you want to consider. But everything from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, everybody, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. Larry, I said I wasn't going to do this. I said I was going to take a deep breath. I was going to come in here calm, cool, and collected to be a professional journalist about this or at least pretend like I'm one. What the hell is Scott Brooks doing? What, what, why can't this team hold on to a lead in the fourth quarter? Help me and everybody else make sense of why this team has blown a fourth quarter lead in three consecutive games to start the year. Well, I think I definitely think it's, it's early. When we talk about it, it is a play three game, so it is early in the season. Uh, we all understand that it's, it, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not the first to win three games, five games, 10 games, 15, 20 games. And, and that's, you know, that tells the story. But you have to be putting guys in the right position to be successful. And when I think about it and when I, you know, when I kind of reflect on it, I think about strategy. Mm. You know, what, what is the strategy? You know, before we, when we roll it out, we see what our roster is. Even though it was a condensed sort of season and all these things were happening, there still has to be a strategy in place. And you know, just like a professional boxer, you know, you can have a you can have a plan until you get punched in the mouth, and then you have to figure something else out. But if you completely have zero strategy going in, it's tough to try to figure out what I, what the next move is. And that's really what I see is not being in the inside. Is just I'm not sure on what the strategy is, and that that's what that's what's a little bothersome for me. Is like usually I can see okay, that makes sense. Okay, I see what you're trying to do. But in this situation, I'm not understanding what the strategy is. I'm, I'm going to count myself as one of these people, but Washington fan base is a tough one. I think we look to go kind of doomsday scenario. We've had a couple lean years in professional sports, so I, I get why. But the media here is usually pretty generous to, to players and coaching staff and, and try to preserve relationships. And a couple of these guys really tried to throw Scott Brooks some lifelines and you know, hey, Scott, is, is this a conditioning thing? Is it just, uh, you know, the lack of a preseason? Is this, you know, 
a lot of roster turnover, a lot of new faces you have to integrate. Like they, they've been trying to throw him out, uh, you know, with some help there. And the thing that drove me absolutely nuts is in the postgame press conference, I think um, NBC's Chase Hughes asked specifically, is this conditioning? And Scott Brooks said, uh, you know, maybe, but we don't make excuses on this team. And then he spent the next five minutes explaining how, well, yes, it's the early in the year. It's a lot of new guys. Like, it's early in the year for Orlando, too. And they just sort of outcompeted the Wizards, in my opinion, down the stretch. So I, I just, you know, I wanted to see him, like, hold these guys accountable. And it was just sort of like, oh, well, you know, we'll figure it out. We're just playing with stuff now. I, that drives people nuts to listen to. Well, we, we live by this phrase with, within our everyday life, but definitely within the Larry Hughes Basketball Academy. Our staff mm-hmm. is honesty over harmony. Yeah. You have to be honest with the situations and not, like you said, you want to hold guys accountable. You want to talk about what is exactly happening without throwing someone under the bus, but you have to be honest about what you're going through. And if it's conditioning, you be honest about conditioning. If you don't know what you're going to get from certain guys, be honest about that. Because as fans and reporters, as guys, people that are watching, there's something that's, there's a story that's not being told. Right. And to have fans and, and to try to figure that out, it's, it's tough. And accountability, you know, on a professional level is huge. And it's not only for the players that are not playing well, but the staff, the coaches that are not coaching well is also. And I think that that's an important piece to understand is that, you know, you can, you can be honest. You know, you can be honest with what you see and what's going on. If someone is not cutting it and someone's not cutting it, it's three games in. There's time to change those things, but to not – put a finger on what you feel the issues are leaves too much to question. I know it's a, you know, a player's league and he's gotten this moniker as like player's coach. So he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers, but it's also a fan's league too. And and if you're to the point where the whole fan base is clamoring for you to get fired. And even though the local media is starting to throw you to the wolves a little bit and talk about how Steve Clifford outcoached you in both games, you're not doing yourself any favors that way either. Like I think Westbrook can take it. If you say, Hey, in game two, he didn't defend in the final three minutes or Hey, Thomas Bryant, you gotta be smarter with which basket you're dunking on or Hey, Bertons is, is just still out of shape right now. Like, or or Brad, you know what? You took some bad shots down the stretch. Like these guys can take it, but we almost never hear that. The only people I ever hear and be critical of are, are people like Mo Wagner that barely even play. It just seems like a cheap shot to me. Well, and that's, we talk about strategy. You know, what is the strategy? What is the philosophy within the organization, within the team, within those guys that walk between those lines? Because you can have those conversations. Sometimes you don't want to put those things out in the public. Sure. But there has to be an acknowledgement that you had those conversations. Whether mm-hmm. the player gives a little hint that you talked about defense or you talked about sh- shot selection or you talk about just be- making smart plays on the court, then you kind of get the understanding of, okay, coach, they talked about that. That was something that they went through, went over in film sessions. So you kind of get an understanding from those back channels of what actually, if conversations were had. But if you don't get it from the coach and you also don't get any sort of indication from the player, then from the outside, it looks like nothing has been said. And plus, you're still going through the same things from game to game that are happening again and again. Granted, it's only been three games. But that's the start of a trend, right? I mean, it, there's one more game, two more games, and 
you're playing like those first three, mm-hmm. then I think that you can say that this is where we're trending. This is where we're going. This is, this is, this is us. And whether it's a harsh reality or not, like you have to, you know, have that understanding. You know, NBA players are, are human beings too. And, and if you hear from everybody, Hey, you guys just keep blowing it in the fourth quarter or you're not closers. And then it happens over five, six, seven games. I, I just got to imagine that, you know, doubt seeps in with the team a little bit. I, I will say this is it is about leadership. And when I watch the game and obviously if I listen to the game, sometimes I watch the game without listening to any of the commentators, but there's a feeling of or a look of expecting to lose. And once that creeps into your DNA of who you are, you know, as a fan base, as guys that are on, on the team that are going out to compete, uh, the staff that's putting these players in a position to be successful, if the body language is bad, if things, ha- you know, continue to happen the same way over and over and over again, you have to look at, you know, you do have to look at the leadership. And for me, I just see guys' body language, and it's like they're waiting for that time to lose that game. Yeah. And once that creeps into the function of what you do, it's going to be hard to shake that. And the only way that, that I've seen those things be remedied is to make changes, you know, real changes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that's really my take on it is that when you watch a game, and you can see body language and being a, a former guy, I've been on teams where you're like, oh, shit, here it comes. Mm-hmm. That's hard to shake. And I, I, I will, you know, I will say that I noticed like that happening, you know, especially the other night. We talked about it even in the preseason. Like the one thing I never want to see is, is multiple guys with their palms up at the same time. Like it, it's just like somebody messed up. And, you know, I know you don't want everybody saying my bad on every play, but like somebody's got to be like, all right, I missed that rotation. When they all just look at each other, like that's, that would be worrying to me as a coaching staff. It looks bad. It, 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 does, it looks bad. We talk about that nonverbal communication. I always go back to the things that I teach the young people, you know, when I'm working with them because it, it goes from the top to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that nonverbal communication is huge. And if it's, if it's upbeat, if it's, you know, the energy with the eyes or the energy with the body, it goes both ways. I mean, you can give good, good energy with the eyes and the body, but you can also give bad energy with the eyes and the body. And it affects, you know, it affects the team. It affects how the next person does their job. It affects the next person on how they make that decision because they don't want to get into a situation where the palms go up or we have questions about, you know, what they're doing or what they're not doing. And it just doesn't seem like these guys are – in these first three games, again, I have to make sure that I acknowledge that this three games been played, but they're heading towards a trend of getting into a funk that they it's going to be tough to get out of. You know, not that we're wishing for for anybody to lose their job or anything like that, but is a coaching change enough to shake that up? Or I mean, is that is it have, have happened with the players? Like, how do you write the ship if that does become a trend? Uh, I think you have to look at the entire landscape of if guys are actually playing hard if they're engaged in what the game plan is. And that's why I always talk about strategy. Like as a professional player, we want to know what do we have to do to put us, put us in the best position to win this basketball game? What strategy did our coaching staff come up with that's going to at least start us out in the right position. And then after that, it's about knowing your job and doing your job. Mm-hmm. And for me, if you have to make a change, if you have to, to, to make a drastic, like a coaching change, 
if the guys on the floor aren't engaged, aren't excited about the the chance to play with one another, then it's, it's never it, it's not going to work in one season. That's something that's going to happen over time, and you don't want to be in that spot either. Is to continue to go year after year trying to fine tune and and figure out if it, if it's the coach or is it the players. I mean that that's a tough that's a tough boat to be in. I always subscribe to like the crazy MFR school of of team building. Like every good team seems to have that one crazy dude that you know something goes wrong, he's in everybody's face or he's going to take somebody out as they go to the hoop and like you know like there's just that I don't want to say toughness as a little cliche but like somebody that's got a little, you know, something to him that other teams don't want to mess with. And the Wizards tried really hard to turn the locker room over to to have a lot of nice guys but it just seems like that's kind of missing to me. I thought Russ might be the guy to grab people by the jersey and and get in their face or whatever, but that hasn't happened so far. I mean, again, it's early. Maybe maybe we get to that point, but it just seems like it's something lacking from this roster. Maybe. Well, I think that that's a part of, and I think Russ has to. He has to be healthy. He has to play better. He has to make shots mm-hmm. uh, because when you come into a fragment situation and. You want to be that voice. We all expect you to be that voice. Uh, you've shown that you can be that voice of holding, you know, your teammates accountable while getting your job done as well. But if you're struggling through the game and they're, they're trying to figure out how you're going to be effective in this situation, it's a part of that that my leadership in some ways has to come second. I have to figure out how I can be effective and help these guys on the court to make sure that they know that I can do my job at a high level and again, hold those guys accountable because Russ comes in with a certain amount of expectations, uh, all league player, uh, MVP, but he's coming in with a guy that he doesn't shoot the basketball well. And he goes to many stretches where he doesn't shoot the basketball well. So if you're talking about this team and the ability to win basketball games, everybody really has to play a little bit above themselves at this point. And then, let the chips fall where they may and you get some input, you know, some add value from, you know, your rookie, you know, your second year player, but those guys that are playing the bulk of the minutes have to pay, have to play a little bit above themselves. And Russ is one of those guys that I feel like he can do it and people expect him to, to, to be that guy. You know, you talked about Russ as a shooter. And to me, if, if your best player is a non-shooter, the sensible move would be to put him out there with shooters. I mean, just, not trying to like set the world on fire with the crazy idea here, but I, I asked Scott Brooks directly, Scott Brooks directly about the lineup of him, Neto, Ish Smith, Troy Brown, and Robin Lopez. And and Neto's a solid shooter, but he's not he's not Duncan Robinson. Like I just don't understand how you're setting him up for success. And then people don't understand why Russ is forcing all these bad shots, you know, contested 15 foot pull-ups that he's not making. I get that it's early. You're you're trying to do crazy things, but to me, Brad seems more equipped to be in a staggered lineup with the guys that aren't exactly going to help him, uh, you know, off ball much. But have those rotations made sense to you so far? No, they haven't. They they haven't made any sense. We're we're trying to figure out what the issue is. If it's conditioning, if it's just really early in the season, trying to see what you're going to get from from certain guys but we're not getting that information. So it's hard to, to speak on, you know, what the strategy is, what, what, what's the plan, right? If you, if you have those guys and you think that you want to have Russ out there with three other point guards and he's not shooting the ball well, 
So in order for those guys to be effective, they, they're point guards, so they need to handle the basketball. But if he's going to get the ball and go, watching the game, I have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Not neither and does anyone to else. Commentate on that. You know, you just have no idea what they're, what they're doing. So the only smart thing that you can do is after the game is over, ask the coach what the strategy is. And then that could help formulate, okay, I see what we're doing. I see what we're trying to do as a fan base and, and as we're covering these things. But we're not really getting those answers on what the plan is and what the strategy is. I like to stay kind of quiet in these media things and just kind of hear them out and let the you know, the big time pros from the athletic or the Washington post be the ones to ask the hard hitting questions there. And nobody asked about that particular lineup and we'd seen it twice to, to poor results in two games. So I just was like, all right, I, I gotta, I've seen a hundred tweets about this from people. People want to know why that group makes sense to him. And he essentially said, well, it's early and we're trying stuff, but we thought all the speed and decision-making would help, you know, Neto's a great shooter. So we thought that would balance out you know, maybe I could put Bertons with that group and maybe that would be better. And it was just like, you know, you don't have to divulge all your secrets as a coach, but I was expecting a little more of like a here, you know, this makes sense to us because then the next two guys, like just something that really justifies that. And that came like two minutes after uh, he got asked a question about why Raul Neto didn't play in the second half of the second game after carrying the offensive load for a six minute stretch in the first half. And he basically just said the rotation didn't get back around to Neto. He yeah, is the that, one who sets right. the rotation. What does that mean? Yeah, that, that's not right. That's not right because you fast forward that to the, to the very next game and he balls out again. So you just missed the entire half of him balling out to help you win to obviously give yourself a chance to win in the next game. But that's what you brought him here for is to, to yeah. play basketball. And that was confusing to me is that one, he didn't go, you know, he didn't go back in and it was because of whatever the rotation is. It, it made absolutely no sense to me. It made absolutely no sense. But for me to see him ball out the very next game, that puts his coach in a very bad spot. It, it, it puts him in a very, now if he comes out the next game and he stinks, right. then that was a half, you know, that was an outlier, but he comes out the next day and he balls out. So you guys have had shoot-arounds, you guys have had practices, and I would assume that he's shown the ability to, to hoop. They gassed him up and, the whole time and said he looked good all preseason and all camp, so it's not a surprise. Yeah, once you see him ball out in the first half, you need to give him three or four mistakes before you take him out yeah. and, and not see any more action in the second half. Because, again, you give him another opportunity and he balls out. And that looks bad on, on the staff. And not, not just the, the head coach, but the assistants play a role in that as well. Yeah, they should be tugging him on the shoulder, head coach. Don't forget. Because they're very, they're very close to the players. And they know when guys are, are locked in and focused. So if the player can't come up to the coach and say, hey, coach, let me get some of that run, he's not seasoned enough, I would do it. Like, yo. <laughs> right. I'm I, feeling it I, tonight. Yeah, yeah can, can, can I go now? It's my turn. But the assistants have to step in to make sure that that piece is not missed. You know, and that, that's how I look at it. In the first game, Thomas Bryant really struggled with Joel Embiid, which a lot of people struggle with Embiid, so it's not crazy. Uh, and, and he got killed for that performance. But of the bigs, I, I thought Mo Wagner held up the best and, again, didn't play 
in the second half and Robin Lopez got beat like a drum and stayed out there for a considerable amount of time. Then you have the stuff with Neto in the second game and the third game, Isak Bongo plays literally his best game as a wizard, or at least his best first half. Uh, it's perfect from the field has a bunch of rebounds. He's great defensively. And it, you know, box plus minus all that stuff is a little misleading sometimes, but You've got him as like a plus 20 and Troy a minus 20 and you roll with Troy down the stretch and you've got Neto getting abused by Markel Fultz and you've got Terrence Ross. Nope. Everyone seems shocked that Terrence Ross is going to shoot a three, which I don't understand if you have a scouting report. So how do you just justify these things? Like I just, like I'm just blown away that there's no, Hey, this is what we did. This is what we didn't like. It's just, well, the rotations and I loved what Troy was giving us. And it's like, what about Bongo's giving you? It's literally his best game. It's like it's like you get tossed the keys and you don't know how to start the car. And I mean, it, it's a you know the, the the lineup is is not a a terrible lineup. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not a you know a last team in the East sort of lineup. I mean, it's not a last team in the East sort of team. It's it's just figuring out how the pieces fit together. And if we if you didn't have enough time to understand that in in heavy competition or you know, obviously in, in, in training camp or in practice, you know, guys will sit out so you don't necessarily get a, a full understanding or a really good competition to really gauge, you know, what you have. I mean, that that is a possibility. So sometimes you don't find out that until you actually get to a game. But it's it's about the entire piece of that because these you have players on your team that are watching the media. They're listening to this mm-hmm. shit too. So yeah. they know, like, I should have played that game or, you know, what's going on? How do I get minutes? Like they're watching this stuff. They're listening to this stuff as well. So how are you telling that story to them? If it's the same story that you're telling to the media, they're confused as hell. Like they don't know what's going on. And the basketball morale, you want to lose that in a shortened season. Well, I, I, guess, I guess you can call it a shortened season, 72 games versus the 82. You don't want to lose that because that's something that's hard to get back. Uh, from professional players when you don't feel like the staff that's in control of your destiny has your back and is willing to put you in the best position to win a basketball game and to further what you're trying to do. It's it's bigger than just this. Yeah. Uh, it, it's bigger than just, you know, a guy missing, you know, not playing in the second half sure. or a guy playing well in the first game and not playing, you know, a, a, a minute in the yeah, second game. That happens. Yeah. Like it, it's it's bigger than that. The other thing that struck me a little bit as odd is right after you have a game where the numbers say Troy didn't play particularly well, and Scott Brooks talked about how much he loved what Troy gave them down the stretch, you then extend or you you pick up his you exercise his team option the very next day. So today they exercised Troy Brown Jr. and Rui Hachimura, but not Jerome Robinson and Mo Wagner. I look at that as like, all right, we're about to exercise this guy's option and we're going to give him a bunch of run here to try to look good and say, oh, he participated in this win down the stretch. And it it didn't work out. Like maybe I'm being cynical, but I think teams do stuff like that, right? Like you give extra guys, you give minutes to guys that you're about to commit to and and make, you know, financial commitments to. Yeah, I I think it it happens. It it happens all the time. You, You want to make sure that a guy feels wanted that he's in a good headspace if you're talking about an extension or, or another uh, a, a year uh, that he gets a chance to be on this team or, or you know, make a huge paycheck, you want to give him, you know, a, a bone to chew on. And I think that that's what, what, what that turned out to be is like, 
you know, you you obviously knew what was coming down the pipeline with with giving giving those guys their their option, mm-hmm. and to give him the confidence that we believe in you is very important. It's just the process of all those those pieces that go together and what's the strategy, because Troy knows that he's not a starter right now. There's something that he can work to to be, mm-hmm. you know, to to be in that starting lineup. So they're giving him an opportunity to learn more. So just the the back and forth that they'll have is is a little bit different than, you know, say a, a Neto or mm-hmm. or Mo who who they did not, you know, extend an offer to. Just circling back around to to the fourth quarters here. They've given up 121 fourth quarter points through three games, which almost seems impossible. And last night they were outscored 43 to 19 in the fourth quarter. So you had a lineup out there of Neto, Beal, Bonga, Avdia, Bryant that built you an almost 20-point lead. And then you take all of those people off the floor pretty much and see that lead immediately evaporate. Actually, I thought it was Drew Gooden's best game as a broadcaster last night because he's just like, nah, in my experience, you leave Beal out there and you kill these guys. You're up 17, make it 25, make it 30. And and the team didn't do that. And, you know, once the league got down to like eight or nine, they put Beal back in. And then once it was six, they put Neto back in. And, you know, I just, as a team, when a team makes a run on you, Larry, like how do you, how do you get that momentum back? Is there something you can do other than just make shots? Like how do you, how do you stop them? It has to be your strategy. It has to be your strategy. I mean, even to the point of if you play Neto in the, in, and I'll go back to if you, if you play Neto in the first half mm-hmm. and, and he's not expected to play in the second half, that has to be a strategy. It, it just shouldn't happen by happenstance mm-hmm. that these things happen. So when you talk about if you build a lead and, you know, it's obviously time, you know, everyone can't play, you know, 48 minutes. So those guys are going to have to rest. But if we build a lead, and we understand that we're struggling now, either on the offensive end, there's a, deep, a different strategy. There's, there's a different combination of guys that go in. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're struggling on the defensive end, there's a combination of guys that go in. And that way we know when, it's, when we're struggling, if the guys on the court, if they're struggling on offense or on defense, the guys on the bench know what time it is. Yeah. They know either on offense, they got to come in, swing that ball, move, move the ball, move bodies, get good looks. And if it's on the defensive end, whether it's switching or rotations or just surely just getting back, you're going to have that understanding as a player coming off the bench. But if you don't have that strategy going in of knowing what sort of car you have to drive, I mean, it's a free-for-all. I mean, you, you know, you're going to put guys in late. You're going to put the wrong guy in to, to do this job. You just don't have any, any direction. And that's really, you know, that, that's my assessment of it. And listening to Drew, Drew's my guy. Drew's my guy, you know, just, you know, getting into this commentating deal, uh, has a great basketball mind, and he can watch a game and commentate a game for 48 minutes, and just in a snapshot, he can give you the rundown on what exactly happened. And I think that that's part of just that basketball mind of, if you saw strategy, if you saw these things happen over and over and over, which you expect for our coaches to, to understand, then there has to be a pivot. You have to understand what your team is lacking or where you need to put the finger on to make an adjustment. Sometimes it's on the offensive end. Sometimes it's on the defensive end. But you have to be able to pinpoint what, what the issue is. And, and you can do that. Not to be corny, but I felt like Gooden kind of – it seemed like he's 
felt a little more comfortable this season or like found his voice a little bit. You know, there were some like gimmicky catchphrasey stuff last year or whatever, but like, you know, last night it was just very clinical, like, Hey, when I played, this is what we did, you know, or this is what we would have done. Or as a player, I would have gone, like you said, and tapped the coach on the shoulder and been like, Hey, uh, you know, what's the deal here? And, and that was, I think, refreshing for fans to see somebody put them on the spot during the broadcast because we didn't get that much last year. Yeah, I'll tell just a quick story. Uh, when I was in, in, in Chicago and Vinny Del Negro was the coach, uh, D. Rose had just come in, you had Joe Kim. Uh, so you got a young group of guys that are coming in to, to now start to track in, in a direction that everyone felt that Chicago Bulls should have been, been going in. Mm-hmm. And I had an issue with playing time. The thought process was, you always hear, you know, we're going to play the younger guys to figure out, you know, what we have and figure out how they can play. Mm-hmm. Well, I felt like I was playing well. You know, I was, you know, we go back and look at the numbers before I was traded to, to New York. Uh, I was contributing. I was helping out, you know, with the younger guys. Uh, all those guys looked, to, looked at me with respect, you know, knew what time it was with me. But the issue was with the coach. And I, it, it may have gone above the coach, but my issue was with the coach and the conversation of, man, Larry, you, you're doing a great job, but we got to play these young guys. So there's just not a lot of minutes there for you, you know, going forward. And for me, I'm like, quickly raise my hand, like, okay, next stop. Yeah. Right. Next stop. Once you communicate that to a player, then it's, it's the player's responsibility to say, what are we doing here? And that's why I always say, if there's an issue that's going on, you know, it, even if it's in game, like you got to put your foot forward and get answers from your coach. And you have to figure out a way to do that in a way that's, that's not going to be disruptive. But Brad Beal, Westbrook, those guys, if the adjustments aren't coming from the coach or if the decisions aren't coming from the coach, then they have to figure out what needs to happen. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think everybody's going to – everybody listening to this is probably nodding their head like, yeah, because it, it, that's just what it seems like from the outside is just – I don't know. Some Like Troy specifically, his comments have been, okay, you know, now I guess I'm a power forward. This is now my third role in three years. Like you don't want to hear that from a player during a media session because that's that's not something that's been communicated to him then. It's like, well, I guess I got to learn how to play that on the fly. and. I just heard a lot of that so far, and, and, and that's that's sort of more disconcerting. I guess if we want to look at the bright side a little bit here, I think worst-case scenario, Denny Avdia is going to be a pretty solid role player in the NBA. Uh, Bonga's shot looks a good amount better. Other than the first game defensively, I think Thomas Bryant looked a little better with each passing game. Bertans hasn't shot it well at all yet, but I got to imagine he gets it back together. He's just taking bad shots. Yeah. I mean, he's just taking shots where – and I wouldn't, won't say bad shots, but when you know your conditioning is not there right. and your rhythm and your pace is not there, like to catch it off a down screen and two people standing in front of you just to catch and fire, like that's a bad shot. Like let, let, let us get you something where we can get your feet set where you have somebody, you know, running out to you as opposed to chasing you off a screen. Then, you know, you can start to, to gain that rhythm and get yourself – to where you want to be. We all know you can shoot the basketball, but if you take bad shots before you get your conditioning and before you have your rhythm, it just takes you that much longer to, to catch your flow and to catch your rhythm. I believe he'll catch it, uh, but we just have to slow down and figure out where he's going to be effective, what sort of sort of 
options of the plays that we'll run that's going to get him the shot on the back end and not have him, you know, that first kick pass to a shot, which is getting, you know, getting him in trouble because he's not able to catch a rhythm. I mean, there's going to be enough situations in an NBA game where you're going to have to take a tough shot. You know, I, I don't understand like the the rush to try to take a bad one when when you don't really need to. And and that was one of the things that, again, goes back to messaging from the organization. After they resigned him, both Tommy Shepard and Scott Brooks talked about his ability to make tough shots. And that's one of the things they love most about him is he's 6'10", so he can shoot with a hand in his face and he can shoot from 40 feet. How about our rest of our guys are going to create some open looks for him? And guess what? He wasn't open last year and shot 40%. This year, if we can get him some better looks, he might shoot 50%. Like, I, I just don't like the immediately going to, well, he can shoot through a triple team if he has to. Yeah, that's, that is the strategy. I mean, that, that, those are the conversations that you should have with the team of understand. I mean, a guy's going to love that for you to talk to him about how you can get him easier shots and better shots. We all can can make tough shots, but when you're talking to a guy that you've just signed, right, that you've just signed, so he's he got the bag. So now we're talking about how can we make your make you more efficient in what you're doing? How can we make your job easier as opposed to keeping your job difficult? And uh, also with, with with Denny, I think that he is he's shown that especially on the offensive end, he's he's a little. Uh, foul prone now as things are coming at him a, a thousand miles an hour but on the offensive end he's confident in what he's doing and he understands how to play basketball mm-hmm. so he's completely a plug and play guy that I think that he can play with multiple lineups so that's a guy that you may not expect to score a lot of points but he can be a guy that's getting guys in the right position to to help those guys get better shots even as a young guy yeah I mean that versatility is huge um go, going back to the tough shots thing one one of the fan questions we got was from Stephen Powers about Brad's shooting last night specifically the ten of twenty nine and some of the forced shots it seems like he was taking and if I'm Brad, you know again we've been hammering on strategy here. Orlando made changes last night defensively down the stretch and and they threw two guys at brad and we didn't seem to adjust at all offensively and Brad got some heat for hero ball and stuff like that. I blame that on part, you know, I mean, some of those are on him, but I blame that on coaching staff too. like do something different so that they can't double team him, put him around two guys that are a threat where if he gets doubled, you're going to make them pay. And it just didn't seem like the wizards did anything to make life easier on him at any point in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, I'm just watching Brad now to, to try to, to understand, specifically because he's a guy from St. Louis, to figure out how he can be more successful, you know, win more games, and just understanding what sort of players that he can play with that make the most sense for his game. Mm-hmm. He has a game that's right now that's evolving uh, into a ball handler, into a guy that can make plays off the dribble. And I think he's exploring that right now as far as to, you know, taking a lot of dribbles to get a shot, or you know, just being ultra aggressive with the bounce. I think he's just trying to figure out his game, you know, mm-hmm. and all the things that he's been working on in the off season. He's bringing those things to the table, and it helps to have a staff together to to formulate a plan on the times of the game in which you are ultra aggressive on the bounce versus coming off screens versus spotting up to give him that nice mix of of him evolving as a player. And you know, in in the league now. I mean, if you can handle the basketball, you can get a shot off. Guys can't touch you, uh, so you can get to where you want to go. It, it, then it's about figuring out 
how can I keep the defender off balance where I can facilitate and make sure that everybody on the team is making my job easier. Because the more threats that you have is obviously going to make Brad's job easier. But right now, I just think he's, um, he's, he's trying to do a lot because he, do, he don't want the situation of what happened last year to, to happen again. And you can see that. But I think you have to take a step back and allow a plan to be put together, you know, to formulate a plan that's going to make sense for him that's not going to have him ball dominant. I don't think that that's the best – I don't think that's the best situation for the team to be successful if he's ball dominant, you know, off the bounce. You talk about the guys he can play with. And I just go back to that Neto, Bonga, Avdia, Bryant lineup. Like, they were killing people last year – or last night. And, and the ball was moving. It was zipping around. Like, it was the only time Brad didn't f- seem to be taking 15 dribbles every possession. And then, then they blew that lineup up. So, I, I just – that's why it goes back. Like, I just, I don't know what we're doing. Like if I'm Brad, I'm like, no, 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 this is the crew. Like let's, let's close it here with these guys. Yeah. If you, if you put Brad out there with, with anyone that hasn't produced or if the coaching staff is not completely comfortable with play, we know that yeah. like, we know if a coach puts somebody in and they're like, Oh shit, we don't know what we're going to get from this guy. It's a really good chance that he's not going to pass to that guy. Mm-hmm. or he's not going to give him the basketball in a situation where he's uncertain. Yeah. But if there's confidence, if there's a strategy, if there's a plan, we know what to expect, then guys are, are more willing to, to move that basketball and allow someone else to make a play. So maybe instead of playing, playing 10 guys, you only play eight guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, at some point in time, you got to figure out what's the best group. Sure. And then from there, you kind of can, you can build out. Right. If it's eight guys that you feel comfortable with, then those other guys know on a nightly basis that it may be a chance where, you know, they only get 10 to 15 minutes a game. But the strategy is it's in place. And until Mm -hmm. something happens, whether it be in practice or whether it be an injury, like this is what we're doing. And I know that can be a little challenging with Russ's situation. If he's not going to play back to backs, then you're kind of filling in different guys. And what what, what if one of those guys go down? or is not playing well, then that kind of throws a monkey wrench in your plan. But I always say, if, if you have a plan, then you can deviate. If you never have a plan, then there's no deviation. It's just, it's just wild, wild west. So I like to, to understand more and watch more games to see what the actual plan is. And I think that that'll help me have better conversations to where when we're talking about this stuff, you know, I, I can have a more intelligent answer. I mean, something you just said there, like, to me, it would seem to make sense. Like, you narrow you know you, you narrow it down to your top eight first, and then then you can say, all right, let's mix this guy in and see if he can be in the top nine. This just seems like here's eleven guys. Like we're gonna throw every possible combo out, and I just I, I don't really it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And you talked about Brad having confidence in guys to give them the ball. I think that goes both ways too. As a player, if if you don't feel like Brad has confidence in you and isn't gonna give you that ball, you're more likely you know, to stand around and, and, and you see some of that, you see Troy with him or Jerome with him. And there's a lot of like ball watching from the corner. Whereas like that other lineup, Bonga setting a screen and then cutting to the basket. And it's just like, I don't know. I I'm just very curious what a practice looks like with this team right now too. Cause I think that would tell us a lot. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, I think so. Well, I was with everything going on. It's hard to get that, you know, that, that real look on, because sometimes you can understand like who really should be playing, but not, what's not playing. Mm-hmm. 
And a lot of that stuff happens in practice. I mean, practice is still is more important in the NBA practice than, you know, sometimes even in college or high school, mm-hmm. because there's a level of, of competition that you can create as a professional that you necessarily don't get at, as a college kid or a high school kid. So to understand our communication within practice, like it's, it's, it's no nonsense. It's no hard part. We're not holding anything back when we communicate in practice. If I'm open, pass me the damn ball. If you turn it over, you should have passed the ball earlier. Mm-hmm. Like those are the things that happen in practice. Yeah. Because if you take those things to the game, you, you get out of whack. So you can't, you can't have that process in the game. But practice is, is a very telling story on, on what's actually going on with the team. But just not having the access to see what's actually going on again, makes it tough to analyze. Westbrook for his career has made like non-shooters and things like that look like pretty good teammates. And, and this team I thought would, would respond well to him because he could get open looks for better shooters than he's had. But, you know, he even said the other night, like I've got to stop messing around. And, and some of the turnovers were good because I made the right play. I just didn't execute or whatever. And it's, it's timing and figuring these guys out. But I, I got to imagine if you're not playing the second night of back-to-backs, and every time you come out of the game in the games you do play, you have bags of ice on your knees. I'm very curious, like, how hard he's practicing or how much they're going at these, you know, at these different pairings in, in, in practice. Like, it, to me, I would imagine you're not driving him into the ground in practice if you're not playing him in meaningful games. And that's the balance, man. That's the balance of, of how the NBA is kind of done today, mm-hmm. you know, as far as with, the, you know, the managing of the talent. And it's a tough way to go if you don't have a good team starting out. Right. Because it's, you know, no one knows. You, you, know, you don't necessarily know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Right? Was, was, I saw a play the other night, and I'm expecting Russ. And maybe it, the fans also give you a different rush. Sure. When you're attacking the basket and there's 15,000, 20,000 fans in there, it gives you a different rush to attack the basket. It gives you a different adrenaline. And I saw Russ attack the basket and shoot a layup. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't remember the last time I, I, I saw Russ. Someone gets the ball, drops it to him. He's coming full speed, and he shoots a layup. That's a, telling, that's a sign that there's something not right, you know, whether it be full conditioning. I think the fans do play a part in it because that extra adrenaline that you get when, when, when that, it's a packed house. Um, but again, you have to use that as a momentum swing and, and does that work without any fans is to dunk the ball and then there's no real noise. Right. And does that do anything to the opposing team? So those are things that I don't know because it's a situation I haven't played in. But I did see that and was wondering, like, okay, why didn't he dunk the ball? And it's maybe, it, maybe it's something, maybe it's nothing. They've talked about having a no dunks policy with him, at least in practice. I don't know if that applies to games or not, but they, Scott Brooks has told him not to go so hard. Like to me, if, if the guy's literal greatest asset is that he goes hard, I wouldn't try to restrict that. And, you know, we've talked all about the intensity he brings. It was just surprising to me that you're 0-2, you just lost a tough second game, to a division rival that you're going to have to beat out for a playoff spot, that if he were perfectly healthy, he would let them sit him. And that, that just, that, 
that tells me something's probably not right there. And like I said, the icing every time he comes out of the game seems like a bad sign to me, but maybe I'm reading too much into that. No, I mean, you only ice to keep swelling down. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's not a real, you know, and another reason to, to it's not put an accessory. Ice. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really to, to keep the swelling down. And if you have swelling, then you have an issue. Yeah. And I say too, is like we, I tried that. I had a, a hand issue in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was my my first year. Uh, I think my first year in, in Cleveland where I, I hurt my hand a little bit. And I was thinking about, like, maybe I should not dunk. So I would attack the rim and not dunk the basketball. And that had carryover. Like, I started missing layups because I was, I was used to mm-hmm. attacking the rim and dunking the basketball but it changes your focus. It changes your thought process completely. Like when I attack the rim, I'm putting it on somebody. Then you go from I'm attacking the rim and I'm just laying it off the glass. There's a, uh, you know, something that kicks in, you know, in, in your mental that throws you off. And I'm saying throws you off, but it threw me off. Yeah. And it was something that I, you know, I don't think that makes a lot of sense not to have a rule, right? I mean, you have to. It's to, a little extreme. Yeah, you got to balance that. But if you got somebody that's trying to get over to take that charge and they're late and they're in that restricted area, if you throw it on them, it changes their thought process. So next time rotating over or somebody that's on the team rotating over, it changes their thought process. And again, if you're talking about that in public, uh, there's a no dunk rule. You're going to have more guys in the games contesting Russ's shots because he hasn't been dunking the basketball. Specifically now with all the house of highlights and all this stuff, like I think guys less want to end up on posters than they did even 15 years ago. So you make somebody look bad and and they're going to get out of your way. And and for anybody who doesn't remember, Google Larry Hughes dunks on Anderson Verschau. I'll I'll post it with this episode, but there is a poster out there of of you putting it on him. Uh, any, Any hard feelings when you guys were teammates after that, Larry? No, 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 and that was that was late. That was that was what 30, 32 year old Larry. I think okay. that was. <laughs> but no, no, that's attacking. Is you send a message? I I think that was Chicago. We was playing Cleveland, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So that's like you send a message. I'm on Chicago now. I left Cleveland. Mm-hmm. That's me sending a message. Make or miss, like ball coming off the rim. It's time to send a message. It's not rebounded. It's not trying to tip it in. It's like go and you dunk it and, you know, try to send that message to the other team. I love it. I, I came across that picture when I was posting something for the show the other day. I was like, oh, shit. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that that was, you know, <laughs> you were in your 30s for that one. That, that's even worse. So Russ can still do it. There's still hope there. Yeah. Uh, just a couple real quick hitter fan questions and we'll get out of here. Alan Chaney asked, does Scott Brooks style parallel any coaches you've worked with and why? And are there any players that have surpassed your expectations so far? Um, the, the coaching staff, really still trying to figure, figure that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand that, that, you know, last year, even the year you had, you know, John, you know, being injured. So you don't know, you know, what the team is going to look like. He got re-injured. Um, so he's dealt some different pieces, but that's not an excuse. I mean, the, the NBA guys that spend a lot of time preparing, have a lot of notes on, guys that are going to be on their team. I mean, there's tons of film on guys that, that are either traded or signed for free agents. So you know what you have. Um, so I haven't really figured out what his, what his style is. He's, he's really l- laid back. He's calm. 
So yeah, that that's a tough one. I I can't think off the top. I and mean, I've had I had four coaches in three years in Golden State. So I've had some coaches in my time. Um, but they all had strategy. And I could really, you know, understand what the strategy was. If it didn't come from the head coach, then it was kind of known within the coaching coaching group with the assistants. So it's 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 not anything that I'm familiar with as far as to not understanding what the, what the plan is uh, going forward. And I think, you know, that the stands out for me is there, there's two guys that stand out. Uh, it's Denny, because we talked early on, you know, about the draft process and him being effective overseas and coming um, to the NBA. What was going to matter was his, his pace uh, and, and his confidence. Uh, he struggled on defense, uh, which he's probably played a more physical game overseas than, than he's allowed to play, uh, you know, here in the NBA which, you know, he can adjust to it, obviously, with practice and playing more games. But he's really poised, and he's taking things that the defense is giving him, and I think it, that helps set him up in a position where his teammates are going to love playing with him. And as a young guy, I think that that's important, that even though you're, you know, a top-10 draft pick, that you play under control and you have, a, you have ability to make someone else's job easier. As a professional player – to bring someone on your team that's going to make your job easier, whether it's a coach or a player, is something that we all want. So with him being a young guy, I think that that's a really good sign for him, you know, moving forward. It's just the things that are happening around him. You want to make sure that he comes in with structure and comes in with an understanding of this is how we operate and not be put in a position where it could fall on him where he can play in, in a half and then not play in the second half of a game. You know, if it ha could happen to him, it can happen to me, and I think guys can understand that. And the other guy is Thomas Bryant. Uh, even though he dunked the basketball in the wrong bat, I've never seen that. I mean, I've never seen that happen. And it, it was almost like he dunked it with force. Yep. And, yeah, that's a question that we got to ask. And we got to get him on the show to figure out, you know, was he trying to cuff it? Was he trying to tip it? Like, what the hell was he trying to do? But on the real note, like, he plays extremely hard. And he's out to compete. And I think that when you talk about a guy with size and he will, I'm sure he'll gain the ability to understand concepts and, and angles to be a better defender uh, as he, as he goes forward because he plays so hard and he has a motor. I think that he's a guy that, that's impressed me as well because early on, even when, when the bubble restarted, I saw he was a little thirsty. He was standing in the lane. He was standing in the lane too long. He was clogging up opportunities for other players. And I thought if John and Brad are on the court, there's no way that he can stand in the middle of the paint uh, that way and the team can be successful. And I saw him take that middle spot and then quickly get outside that box and now be either a receiver or a rebounder or a person that's going to attack that offensive glass or get back on defense. So that's what I like from Thomas is that he's, without having a conversation with him, he's met my expectations as far as to how he's going to be successful and help the team win. Now it's just about everyone else, you know, kind of getting on board and doing their part because no one can do it by themselves. I mean, he's, he's a big guy. He's active. And, you know, that, that's what I like about, about Thomas Bryant. I think he got a little unfairly criticized in the second game, specifically down the stretch. There were a couple of possessions where the Magic ran pick and roll and he and Russ switched. He ended up on the guard and then Russ didn't box out Vucevic at all and Vucevic got a couple of layups late and it was like oh Brian he, he's getting beat I'm like 
you know, maybe that's a miscue or mis, you know, miscommunication or something, but that's not on him alone. Like he was being soft or whatever. And I did have a teammate in an eighth grade travel league that got a rebound and put it back up on our own hoop in a close game. But I have never seen a professional athlete do anything close to that. I mean, I've seen a guy, you know, get it off the tip or jump ball and, Mm. you know, go the wrong direction or get a steal and go the wrong direction and lay it up. But like to actually do it off of a tip dunk, man, you timed it like you timed it like you you timed it perfectly. But it's it's the other team's basket. And there wasn't a real reaction like, oh, like, what did I just do? It was like, oh, and go back down the court. So for me, it's like those things happen when teams are struggling. And, and it, it never hard. fails. It never fails that those kind of things happen when a team is struggling. And then to play your first three games against Embiid and 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 Busevic, I said his name right. But those are two of the best. Mm-hmm. Those are those are two of the best. So he has something to to compare himself to. He has something to to look forward to. And I I, I wouldn't give him a, a a bad you know bad grade, especially playing against those those two guys for sure. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, the only, Almost as bad was the dunk, hang on the rim, and then fall to the ground because you hung on the rim too long. That's, that's your trying too hard to shut people up and, and show them you, you, know, you can play physical and stuff like that. Our former guest host, Fitz Cantrell, asked a little bit about coaching changes, and we've hit on that some here too. And just sort of distribution of playing time and chemistry. You know, I, I think your uh, story about Vinny Del Negro and stuff and, and working that out with the coaches directly will kind of answer that one. Uh, and then sort of the last one here was from uh, Wizards Malaria. Great Twitter handle there. How does a coaching change affect a team in the middle of the season if they were to make a move? Uh, I, I think you have to, I mean, what's the coaching? I mean, what's the coaching change? You, you're talking about a coaching change that you're going to promote and assistant up to the head coach. Mm-hmm. And again, do the does will the team have confidence that there's a strategy, there's a plan in place? Is this information from our assistant coach not getting to the head coach or is he holding the information back to, to make us more successful if the assistant jumps in in the head coach's spot? Like so there's uh, some some tugging some 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 tugging there to figure out who's the right person. It's very tough to bring in anybody from the outside, sure. right? To to now coach the team if a head coach is removed. It's nine times out of ten, nine and a half times out of ten, you're going to promote, you know, an assistant to be a, an interim head coach. And for us as a team and, you know, going through the first three games, if we had to make that change now, I don't feel like any of the coaches would have a strategy yeah. because if they did, we would have tried to implement that in these first three games. So maybe down the road, you know, you get 10, 15, 20 games in, you can have an understanding of who's the real voice, who's the voice in practice, who's the voice in the locker room, who's the voice in the huddles, uh, doing timeouts. And then you kind of see if, if, if that would make sense. But if there's no real voice, it, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think we're, we're in it with Brooks for the long haul, personally, if not at least through this year, maybe even next year, but we'll see how the year goes. Uh, all right, just to close out here, uh, Wizards' next game is Tuesday night. Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern against the Chicago Bulls, who I believe are also 0-3. What do you expect to see there, Larry? Are we going to get our first win of the year? Any Anything we should particularly look out for in that matchup? Well, those guys play hard and they can play offense. And the Wizards are struggling on defense. They're struggling with body language and, and taking bad shots. 
and putting them in bad positions to get back on defense. So I think that that's, again, it's going to be one that you will completely have the, the, the opportunity to win the game. But if you don't shore up your, your offensive game, um, your floor balance, your getting back on defense, uh, building and creating walls uh, you know, against the other team, then it's going to be tough to get a win against a team that can score the basketball crazy well. I mean, they can score the basketball. They have guys that can get their own shot. They have guys that can shoot the basketball from deep. They also have big guys that can stretch the floor and shoot the basketball. So I say it's going to be it's going to be a tough one because of how well those guys are. You know, they play on offense, but again, they struggle on defense as well. So I would hope that, that the Wizards wouldn't go zero and four, but that's going to be that's going to be a tough matchup for for the guys uh, Tuesday night. I'm going to say eight point win. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I, I just I got to think if. You have two all fringe all NBA guards. They they don't let you go to zero and four, and especially after not playing the last game, I would hope that Russ comes and, and looks fresh and and motivated here. They have a great rookie as well. What have you seen from Patrick Williams so far? Again, uh, it always comes down to pace for me. The NBA, you're playing with that twenty four second shot clock, and the rhythm that you play with to do your job on the offensive end. The understanding that you have as far as what your strategy is on the defensive end and your team concept. Um, I've seen Patrick play, and I think he's going to be solid. I think he's going to be a, a really good pro because of, of the pace that he plays in. Uh, he shoots the, the mid-range jumper really well, and he has size. And he's another guy that goes out to compete, you know, not only on the offensive end, but on the defensive end as well. And, you know, I, I've, seen, I've definitely seen good things from him so far. Uh, their next game after that is Thursday, also against the Bulls. So hopefully uh, this this is a good matchup for them and it helps them right the ship a little bit. And, and folks, if you're wondering why you're hearing this on Monday evening, uh, we're going to try to do this a little earlier in the week just to better fit with the NBA schedule. And, and that way we've kind of set you up for your, your whole week of Wizards basketball. So as always, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And, and we'll catch you next week with hopefully a slightly improved record. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.